So there's a mystical land called Twitter, and there, it's everything is magical and different, and it's like our world, but it's changed in some ways. And so, um, recently, uh, famed author J.K. Rowling decided to take to this Twitter place uh, and just really go fully mask off uh, <laughs> um, about yeah. certain views about the immutable uh, biological nature of sex and gender. Uh, mm. And it and it's uh, of course this has made a lot of people very angry as well. It might have done. Uh, I, I I think I don't think anyone was surprised by this. Is the thing? No, no. Mm. I mean, she the the um, J.K. Rowling just uh, pulling out a pulling out a big fat like multi million dollar wand and being like mascus kisk officus women <laughs> canticus nuticus. I think it's just yeah. like worth noting that this is someone who like so the last J.K. Rowling scandal that I remember was when she kind of said ah, that, who like... Can, who, who can pick their favorite? Right, and there's actually a lot. There's a lot of these, mm. right? Like, more than necessary, I yeah. think. But the last one that I remember was when someone kind of... She, she got involved in the thread where it was like, no one in the Harry Potter universe, like, shits, ever. Oh, um, yeah. She, yeah. Then she was like, horny. yeah, they do shit, but there are no toilets. So what the wizards do is that they shit, they shit on the floor. Uh-huh. And then... Wait, she actually said this? Yeah, yeah she actually yeah. said mm -hmm. this on Twitter. And it was just like the culmination of all the insane stuff that has happened since the books have come out, where like you have this... <laughs> As a cross scientist, I find this fascinating because like, does the shit disappear <laughs> or does it go somewhere? Does it get recycled? This actually causes a lot of matter. Like, yeah. it has to go somewhere or something equivalent has to happen. Mm, right? right. There's well, a wormhole. As England switched and, uh, yeah. to having a larger urban population in London instead of having people spread out in the countryside, like this actual thing caused huge problems. Uh, the soil in, in England was getting depleted because everybody was eating all the food in London and just shitting it down the Thames. And so this very thing. <laughs> Cause very serious social problems. I'm just, I'm very curious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think this is just like symptomatic of the fact that like, as like a really, as like the most successful author in like the country, if not possibly the world, like you don't have to like create an extended universe if you no, don't want to. You don't have to log on. Yeah. You don't have, right. you don't have to be I on feel like, social feel, media I, at all. I, I feel like that's something yeah. bigger, but like at some point someone basically told her like you, like she has to have the answer to every like stupid question mm. that like the fandom has. Yeah. And this has directly led her to this point. I'm just oh, losing yeah. my mind at like imagining the minister for magic, like taking, taking a shit on the floor in his own <laughs> office and then like solemnly magicking away. <laughs> Yeah, and anyway, this is the person who's telling us that you know uh, bi about biological sex and gender is mm. is is the woman who who made up the shitting wizard story. You're that a all wizard, the children Harry, not a woman. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's true that like you know there, there are no trans people in the wizarding world because you would have to like if you're gonna like publicly shit like everyone has to see each other's dicks yeah, right it's what is the wizarding world but one big unisex bathroom that's and true and that yeah. unisex bathroom is called glinda <laughs> yeah <laughs> damn oh man uh but no we're, yeah we're uh you know jk rowling is just an example of the fact that money doesn't make you happy because she's the richest person in the world for coming up with a bunch of facile children's books and guess what she's still angry posting from one of her many multi-million pound properties so, um, I mean, honestly, congratulations, J.K. Rowling. You are the world's saddest, richest person. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's a league table. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, we've got some contenders over here. <laughs> mm. <laughs> 
Hello and welcome back to your free episode of TF for this week, your pre-Christmas episode. Mm, feeling um, festive in feeling here. Feeling very festive. Uh, we're all jingling bells. We've decked all of the halls. It's just, in our case, we have decked the halls with soundproof baffling. Yeah, dep- <laughs> if your bells are jingling too much, that, that makes you a man, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like the antithesis of festive tone you used for soundproof baffling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a parking officer Mike Grabowski. Um, that's what we're doing mm-hmm. here. Uh, you know, so it's uh, it's Riley. I'm here with Hussein. I'm back. I'm back in like the rainy turf island, which I think is actually genuinely a lot better than New York. But mm. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you are, also you are no longer walking here. Yeah. No, I'm well, no longer walking here I think because, actually, because everyone keeps demanding that I pull my pants down for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> our, our, our good friend, the, the hell dude at Alalika on Twitter, had an extremely good take on uh, on JK Rowling when he just he just quote tweeted and just said, ah, the British Isles. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's us. We're all about that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, we also have Milo uh, riding the boards today. Hey, it's me, your boy. Nate has gone home to have dinner with his wife. What a loser. <laughs> sounds, sounds a bit sus to me. So when he could be sad. Could be sat in a basement with dudes doing a podcast. (laughs) Um, With all of the women in other cities. That's true. Indeed. (laughs) Safely. To to prevent it being sus. Uh, We also, we have Alice uh, calling in from Glasgow, which I will not say is sunny today. Oh, thank God. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Dodged a bullet there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mm. we have as well joining us a crop scientist and general crop expert, Sarah Tabor, calling in from the States. Sarah, how's it going today? So today we're actually going to go back to a well that we've gone to before. So we are. At, this is our third part of our MIT Media Lab exploration. But in as in the first one, we discussed the overall philosophy and founding history of the Media Lab. In the second, we explored a wide variety, a smorgasbord of its dumbest inventions. In this episode, we are going to go deep on the MIT Media Lab open ag or open agriculture initiatives project the food computer which was created by a man named caleb harper and has had something of a tumultuous history part three of our two-part series (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) look we're gonna keep doing parts until they shut down (laughs) this we are going to try to hound the mit media lab into 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 shutting down completely just by continuing to mock it on this podcast um and Sarah is has written some some very good articles about like this subject specifically with respect to the um, the food computer, which was one of their big hyped up, well marketed projects. Um, and so, Sarah, I just want you to uh, want you to, to if you can get into this for us a little bit. What in brief <laughs> is the food computer, and what in brief? Is it trying to reinvent? Why is it not a thing? Right. So So. in brief, what the food computer is, is it's just a little box that you can control the temperature and theoretically the humidity and the lighting and all these other things. So it's just like MIT decided to reinvent like the closet cannabis grow basically is what they did. Um, And you have to put a transparent door on it so you can see what's happening inside, except that makes all the light leak out and it gives you insulation problems and all that stuff. Doesn't in case it, in case they're masturbating in there, you gotta know, you gotta make sure they're not offending Jesus. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to grow weed in your closet properly, you need to give them privacy. So (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's what it really was. It was, it was just like kind of a smaller, not that effective version of again, a closet marijuana grow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call it that. Um, and then, 
you know, it was weird because I saw him starting to talk about it. Like he's talking about it like it's a replicator. Like you just program in Mm -hmm. the kind of food that you want and it'll make it. And I was like, he's kind of erasing, like he would talk about programming in exactly the kind of apple you want. And I'm like, well, even in your best case scenario, if you have an extremely super dwarf tree that produces really fast, you're still talking, you know, three years, that's not a replicator. Mm -hmm. It was just bizarre to hear the way he talked about it. And that was, we say he, when we say he, we mean um, Caleb Harper, a very high-profile MIT Media Lab like d- like project leader, whose whole idea was uh, what was this this food computer, and um, it came it can. And I actually I have a little bit on the biography of Caleb Harper. If we want to dive right into the uh, mm. notorinos over Sounds here, Sounds like he's a normal, good, cool guy. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Not, yeah. not yeah. like an Elon kids. Musk guy who like invents a thing that mm. doesn't work every six months. This guy seems yeah. to have invented one thing that doesn't work, and then like worked on that for years. Yeah, Caleb Harper is a very powerful name. It's the kind of name that every CEO of a company startup that will like has an app that enables you to rent your coffee machine from your neighbor has. <laughs> it is it is true. It's a very it's a very techy name. Now, here's the thing though. Caleb Harper, this is from a fawning National Geographic profile from before uh, his food computer, which as as Sarah I only said, read the regular National Geographic. Which, as Sarah said is a little box that you try to grow food in, but that doesn't work for a myriad of reasons, which we'll get into. Um, Caleb Harper, who comes from a farming family, says he wants to grow food closer to where people live in cities and avoid environmental risks like droughts, storms, and insects, which threaten the quality and quantity of the food that we eat. Which is wild from because Paul his Bill, lab North was Carolina. dumping nutrients into like, the water system. Like They were doing illegal dumping of nutrient solutions. So anyway, carry on. Oh, yeah, we, we found that out after yeah. this, didn't yeah. we? Uh, mm-hmm. it, all of you, you did all of this uh, uh, writing about why the food computer didn't work, and then they sort of, MIT, uh, after the fact, said, oh yeah, by the way, uh, we were dumping a bunch of fertilizer into Oh no, into it this. wasn't MIT that said that, it was a whistleblower in Harper's lab. Oh, re- oh yeah. excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so so, yeah. so far let's uh, score let's uh, for y- all of you keeping score at home for the food computer um we're going to like we can have like two little like uh, cars or dogs racing around a track right uh so far we have the um harmful dog has just taken one uh one very large step forward in as much as they have dumped a lot of fertilizer in a local river in an attempt to make the world healthier with a plastic box that doesn't do anything. Mm, the harmful dog. <laughs> it's uh, just a little Churchill dog for some reason. <laughs> the food, he says. Oh, no. The food, he says, will not need pesticides or chemicals, and it'll be predictable 365 <laughs> days a year. Sarah... No chemicals at all? Not even nitrogen? That's, is that realistic? That's not been my experience with indoor agriculture. We'll just say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've actually worked in the indoor agriculture industry for uh, four to five years, which is an eternity in indoor agriculture. Um, I've worked with a lot of the big names in the industry on getting you know, food safety certified, kind of diagnosing and, and troubleshooting a lot of their problems. And uh, chemical-free is, is really going outside the bounds of reality there. Um you know, number one, there's your nutrients. Uh, you can do it organically if you want to, but that's still chemicals and it's still nutrients. And if you dump them in the water supply, it's still nutrient pollution. And, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of them do wind up like less than outdoors, but a lot of them do wind up having to use pesticides, at least when they're getting used to what they're doing. Um, mm, sometimes yeah. you have to like put a little hydrogen peroxide in the irrigation water because otherwise like stuff starts overgrowing your roots. Um, 
you, you shouldn't have to do that too, too often, but especially as you're, as you're getting set up, that's an issue. So um, I feel like to kind of zoom out a little bit and, and to get away from the nitpicky and just kind of talking about the bigger picture, um, the way indoor agriculture is kind of sold is that it is uh, more natural and kind of like the ag tech world in general. Um, there's really kind of this mentality that Monsanto et al. have screwed it up. And therefore, we're going to come save the world from all the stuff Monsanto has done. Except the problem, <laughs> the big problem with Monsanto is, is the fact that they were kind of the first people to really use an IP rents business model in agriculture. They basically were the first to apply the tech business model to agriculture. That's the entire problem. And so now all these tech guys are coming in and saying, we're going to solve this problem of too much tech business model in agriculture by using the only thing we know, which is the tech business model that caused the problems. <laughs> what the fuck is that? So Now, Sarah... <laughs> You, you may have said a lot of stuff about, you know, very realistic applications of chemicals and nutrients and the problem with the tech business model in general. But mm. have you considered um, that in the future, broccoli will have an IP address? Okay. That's literally just, something they say. Just, when something when they you say, say that they brought in a tech model, I just like the idea of Monsanto executives were the ones who started wearing hoodies and sneakers in the office. And then everybody <laughs> started doing it. Yeah. Um, well, we're coming up on January, and all I'm saying is that my broccoli will have a no-p address. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that is that is one for the old heads. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Harper was inspired, this is back to G- National Geographic, to look more deeply into urban agriculture when he visited... The, every single tech doofus has a story like this. Mm-hmm. When he visited Japan after the 2011 Fukushima disaster and saw headlines that read, Japanese farmland has, farmlands have no water, no youth, no mm-hmm. land, and no future. Damn. And again, the solution, a clear plastic box. Yeah. Why not? I love going to Japan and picking up on that as the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, well, but they need, it's, it looks as though, yes, there's been a nuclear meltdown. Mm. It's time for us to get serious and just pretend that food just comes from data and nothing. What? A seed and some data is all you need. To be, to be fair, if there's any group of people that would love to eat food that comes out of their computer, it is the Japanese. Few of you really understand, but actually the Monsanto, com- not the Monsanto computer, but the food computer actually did have a big success. And this was documented in the uh, book, James and the Giant Peach. Mm. <laughs> How did the peach get so big? Yeah. I no mean, did, did medical box. science go too far? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is so, it vor? Who knows? It got me thinking, mm. speaking of the, the, the Fukushima... Um, uh, disaster. It got me thinking, how can I put my different skill sets together to make a difference? Fuck you! Don't! <laughs> what skill sets? Uh, um, uh, imagineering? Yeah. Being uh, a grifter? Ingen- Ingenuitousness? Schemes, marketing? Right, because uh, like, this guy doesn't have like a background in farming. So I would love to address that. So I'm one of the few people out there who's got kind of one foot in the mainstream agricultural world, like just the big field crop agriculture, and then also in tech, right? There's a few of us out there, but not a, hu- a huge number of people. And, um, a lot of my, again, I started out in dirty jobs. Like I started doing field work and um, you get to know agriculture in a certain way, that way, very hands-on, very dirty. Mm. And then later in life, I started working with food safety auditing, which is, uh, it's kind of like the reverse pizza boy. Like when you deliver pizza, people are happy to see you. When you audit farms, people are pissed off just because you showed up, right? Um, you show up and tell people they can't eat their pizza. <laughs> oh, you, you show up and you're like, eh, this is, wash your hands. Um, and people Slap love being told that. pizza out of their hands. Yeah. yeah. No. And so you kind of, you get to know agriculture in a very different way. Um, you kind of, you have to look under the hood at farms. And so I think what a lot of us know about agriculture is very image-based. It's a about like, I read Little House on the Prairie once, I saw some commercials about family farms. 
farms. I feel good about pickup trucks. Like that's the level the most of us are on. And mm. that's not people's fault. Like if you actually look back in American history, we kind of have this narrative about how people used to farm and then they ran away to the cities because they wanted an easy life. That is not what happened. Most of those farmers were actually sharecroppers. It wasn't just in the South. Like that's where we're known for it. But all across the U.S., sharecropping was very dominant. And then once automation showed up, then American landowners evicted their tenants. And that's how the countryside converted into like densely packed with people into being very sparse and everyone's in cities. They're refugees. They were evicted from the countryside. They didn't leave. So we really kind of have this story about how farmers are authentic and they know what's really going on. And people from an agricultural background really understand agriculture. In my experience from working in agriculture is that is often not very true. Um, right. I, I will have to say that I've, I've encountered a lot of really cool, really perceptive, really thoughtful forward thinking farmers, and they are a distinct minority. Um, a lot of them are just in the flim fam business. <laughs> There's We're so an much anti-farmer podcast. Whenever I think of like, go ahead. I was going to say, whenever I think of like people with family farms, what I remember is like the rich kids who go to like Oxford and Cambridge, who like come from farming families and wear barber jackets mm-hmm. and they like look after one mm-hmm. sheep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a UK thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, like, so much. Like, the United States is becoming increasingly like that. We're kind of we're we're mm. we're acquiring a landed gentry. Um, the number of landowning white families who have actually owned land has actually been very steady for the last century or so. And so this mythos yeah. that we have of people fleeing the countryside, you know, because they don't want to work and they want to farm or excuse me, they want to work in cities instead is a very false narrative. And we have the land is kind of concentrating in the hands of fewer and fewer people. Uh, the number yeah. of farmers has stayed the same, but they're increasingly interrelated because you, you don't, you only want to marry other landowners. Um, so we're kind of getting like Game of Thrones. It's very Game yeah. of Thrones. It's not very Little House in the Prairie. It's very Game of Thrones. Um, mm. And so the United States, now that we've been around for a while, is kind of starting to acquire kind of a more calcified landed gentry. Um, and they'll never admit that. Like, that's a big part of the flim flam business of agriculture is projecting this image of the common men and like we're the working class and we do the dirty jobs. And I'm like, you're fucking landowners. Hereditary. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, well, it's, it's the all time American thing of like, no, 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 we're still working class because we drive a hundred and fifty thousand dollar pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and I listen to music about how racism's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so I, you look at Harper sounds- and he really kind of comes from one of these families. I don't know how many thousands of acres his family has in Kansas, but it's at least one which is not like salt of the earth kind of people. Um, yeah. You don't hold on mm. to a thousand acres for multiple generations because you're nice and you don't hold on to it for a thousand acres. Certainly not in Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Have to survive all of those tornadoes picking up your daughters and their dogs, taking them to a mysterious <laughs> mm. magical land. Yeah. And his dad's got some kind of like food distribution executive position, right? So these are people with connections and these are people with lands and property. Um, and kind of going around presenting themselves as the man of the earth and like, I understand how agriculture works because I came from a gentry family is is very much mm. in keeping with, with how um, there's really kind of people talk about the urban rural divide in the United States. And it, I think it's largely cooked up by these kinds of people yeah. to present themselves mm. as more knowledgeable and more authentic. And all the while they're going around flim flaming like this, like this is actually, we kind of talk about this as being, this is like this new facet of agriculture that is technology and it's kind of trying to eat agriculture. I'm like, no, this is just more of the same shit. That's what it is. So what, 
in fact, this is he, what he says after this is because he, he asked this question, how can I put my different skill sets together to make a difference? Clearly, mm. he's a STEM doofus and history, so understanding what has actually happened in American agriculture has not been among those skill sets. Damn, because, this guy's a STEM doofus in two different senses. He, yeah, <laughs> he's, his solution is, I realized that what we needed is a data center for food, one that is not exposed to the natural environment. <sighs> Think about how much knowledge traditional farmers pass down from generation to generation. There's no <laughs> blueprint for vertical farming. Sorry, go ahead. Can we, and can we just, can we just bottle uh, Sarah's derisive laughter for this? Because <laughs> I yeah, feel like that's make quite useful. Yeah. We've been You're we've welcome. been passing down knowledge for generations, like how to approach a sheep calmly from behind. <laughs> well, it's the, the knowledge that he seems to have passed down is the fact that, like, um, is that you can own the you can own the patents for certain like vegetables or fruits mm-hmm. or whatever um and mm. also that if you say that you're a legitimate farmer people will buy any old shit that's the one that's the big one he's fa- he's farm he's farmland wyatt coat yeah essentially you uh, can you yeah, can you can, you can grow it, crops in in the boardroom <laughs> and the discotheca <laughs> but alice mm. you, can, alice, you, you joke that's the uh, that's the idea of the food computer no. that you could grow crops in the boardroom or the discotheca <laughs> but, uh, or the yeah. wouldn't but that wouldn't the disco ball, uh, like, shining through the transparent door, fuck with your uh, light levels? No, uh, and we don't know why it won't, but it just won't, so <laughs> shut up about it. <laughs> just uh, end up so, with very disco vegetables, I like that idea. We, mm. we want to, and again, uh, Sarah, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to hold on to something for this next one. We want to create an open source digital recipe for climate, where you can <laughs> yeah, control that's, the that's light. that's replicator talk right there. Like, we're just going to mm. have a recipe, and you never talk, like... As a crop scientist, obviously, you know, it takes time to grow a plant. He's obviously talking about growing plants, but the way he talks mm. about it, you can tell he's trying to sell a replicator. And I'm like, that's when I kind of, you know, I just looked at the equipment and I was mm. like, that's weird. That already exists. Like I worked in room size versions of that in 2001 that were like old yeah. and broken down. So he didn't invent shit, first of all. And yeah. then second of all, mm. he's talking about them like they're a replicator. And that's when I went, oh, Okay, <laughs> you know. Oh, it's a scam. <laughs> mm. mm. Wait a second! All of these buildings Beautiful. are made out of cardboard. <laughs> it's it's like a Potemkin farm, but for mm-hmm. your desk. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is, um, though. Yeah, it's the idea. Is, so the whole point is, um, he said this is from another. I, I pieced together a lot of different art, fawning articles about this, uh, and this is where he says, um, in the future. Even broccoli will have an IP address because these all. Why not? Why not? Why not mm. download some porn to your broccoli? Why not? <laughs> Nothing means anything anymore. You why not that? You, 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 know. wouldn't, you wouldn't download a broccoli, would you? <laughs> I hate when my why shouldn't your cats gets, have Bluetooth? I hate when my broccoli gets like a, a, a crop blight, but instead of like aphids or something, it's being used to mine Bitcoin for a guy in Turkmenistan. I, I, <laughs> my I potato hate, has spyware. I, I hate trying to torrent like broccoli and carrots and having to like get a bootleg copy of the fucking <laughs> Joker again. <laughs> Yeah, Hussein, you you joke, but that's like explicitly addressed in this article. Well, that the climactic templates for like the perfect hazelnut could be like copyrighted by you know Ferrero Rocher. Oh, great! That sounds good and normal. No, but remember, Fine. it's when I okay. hear things like this. It's it's not just this project, but a few other things on kind of like the high end of science that don't actually grapple with reality. 
It's like yeah. what I'm hearing right now is like the sound of cocaine that took human form. Mm. That's what I'm hearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> what growing conditions for the perfect cocaine? I mean, yeah. that's also a valid, you know. But that's the thing. Like, it's, it's we've a seen like box the- on your desk that like turns the coca paste into it. <laughs> <laughs> Il computerino colombiano. If you know yeah. what I'm saying. It's uh, that's the thing, Hussein. You see, you I say that all of these things were like it was their ambition to do. But remember, don't worry. It's a scam. It doesn't work. <laughs> you just can't actually a, just bags of fertilizer. So what into you're a so river. what you're saying is that I can't torrent hazelnuts and end up accidentally getting Riley Reed videos. Mm. Not yet. No. Damn. Um, okay. So you can torrent nuts of the sort. <laughs> the idea is ultra efficient, sensor packed urban farms will collect huge quantities of information on every crop they grow and develop data driven insights into what makes a tomato tastier and a head of broccoli mm. grow faster. That information will be shared among a distributed network of other urban farms and global agriculture okay, so, will improve. Okay, Sarah, so you, I want to you interject you know something about- here. Mm, please. <laughs> yes. Please, All Sarah, right. please. So I've actually run into this with a couple of indoor farm operations. They're not the only ones who do this, but inevitably they will start talking about like we found a way to make basil taste better i'm like yeah dumbass we've known that since the 1980s you put more salt in the water that's it that's just how plants grow like if you give them a little bit of salt they get a little bit dehydrated and so their flavor compounds are more concentrated that's like first fucking grade for hydroponics and so you have these tech people kind of go like oh we discovered how to do it and you're like oh my god you read a paper from the 1980s is what you did anyway Mm. Mm. i I, I love the idea that they're trying to do big data to farms and what they've come up with is a combination of tasting things and a farmer's almanac yeah. yeah, I'm waiting for a bunch of guys with like huge dyed permed mullets going, we've been doing some groundbreaking haircut research. <laughs> also, also like the idea of like, so if I got this right, his prince, his one of his things was that he wanted to share a bunch of data with other farmers so they could grow like the perfect tomato. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Which like, or tomato, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I'm just like remembering, wasn't there like a Simpsons episode about this where they accidentally like tomato? Tomato, yes, tomato. Except tomato didn't have to like fucking require like an indoor. No, it, it, was, it, was, it just yeah. it just happened. But that's right. the other thing, right? Like they've they've said like Sarah, you again, you you sort of you pre you you said this right, where it's like, well, we've known that salt makes things tastier because it just does this one thing, mm. and they've taken that one piece of information, which is that you can alter the alter one property and then get a pretty predictable result and they have extrapolated that to pretend that we've never just like shared that information with one another before that it's not common knowledge already in the horticultural community and if you think you invented it you clearly don't know what the fuck you're doing yeah yeah and it's where it's like Mm. they just they just don't where they just don't they have not at all even guessed that like this is possible outside the framework of mm-hmm. a magic box. Mm-hmm. It Colonel Sanders has hoarded the agricultural secrets for long enough. Yeah, well, a lot of the things that the indoor agriculture industry in general is doing uh, are actually kind of retro. They just haven't seen them personally. Like these tiggers haven't ever seen that in action. They've never been to the Netherlands. They don't know the Netherlands invented all that stuff back in, again, the 80s. Mm. And so they think they invented it and their investors don't know any better. And so they can tell their investors, we invented this and have complete Mm. credibility. And as a crop scientist, you know, again, you look at this and you're like, everything you're doing is retro. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) The secret to indoor farming is we all wear these wooden shoes. (laughs) um, Ba- well, Harper's team of engineers. Blackface. Hydroponics. It makes the basil taste better. Um, mm. Harper's team of engineers, architects, and scientists have developed an open source agriculture operating system. Mm. A oh, prototype yes, was one. built. 
That's, yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. A, a plant operating system. I don't know. That's such a stupid metaphor. The closest thing you could say is what genes. Yeah, a hipster broccoli that runs BSD. <laughs> that's, that's what yeah, why a, not? That's what a lot. You'll excuse me. That's a lot of what you'll see in the indoor and, and kind of the agriculture tech industry in general is. And this is an outgrowth of how agriculture has worked in the U.S. for a very long time is the way you make money in agriculture, you don't farm, you farm the farmers, right? So you invent some technology that they're going to use and you collect, again, basically IP rents. And so that's a lot of what you see going on in the Mm -hmm. agricultural tech industry right now is people just kind of inventing ways to collect data and sell and distribute that data. It's not, to me, that exciting a business model because I don't think the potential to actually enhance yields and productivity is really that high. It's just a way to collect IP rents. So again, like that just might be my bitch ass knowing what I'm doing and thinking I don't need a computer (laughs) to tell me what to do here. But but Um, what if your your tractor had an iPad in it and also you couldn't repair it? mm, Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Sarah, have you had this thing called Farmville. <laughs> yeah. One of the project's big goals is to create one billion new farmers, each running a tiny self-contained facility in cities and towns. Oh God, it's to grow them in the thing from, it's from the mouth thing. Yes, everybody has a tiny blast furnace on their desk, yeah, and there's a big little cup of steel. Yeah. Everyone now, but now mm. it's everyone just has what like a box that grows one tomato every two months. Like how? What problem is that even going to solve? Yeah. <laughs> Please, yeah. ma'am, may I have a cup of tomato? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. The problem where once every couple of months you don't have a tomato, and then you have a tomato, so it's solved. So yeah, well, then you have. That, I feel like what that comes from is again, like if you're if you're a tech wizard and you're trying to make a name for yourself and collect a lot of money from investors, um, they don't understand the agriculture space very well, but they understand consumer products very well. And so if you can kind of take your quote unquote agricultural revolutionary tool, which is not, but if you can take that and you can tell them I can use this to make a consumer product, then it's just like here's here's some money for you. So in a lot of ah. ways, I think what's going on here is just like a complete deficiency of information on the investing class. Um, which is a whole other realm no. of, of stuff we can talk about. It's like if you don't if you don't know fuck all about agriculture, then why are you controlling millions and billions of dollars going into R and D? It makes no sense. Let's talk about that. Oh, Sarah, I, can most- tell, I have the answer for that. <laughs> I have the answer for that one. Um it's because uh, they succeeded and are the best. Okay, yeah. it's they're, because they're they're just obviously, um, yeah, they're smart. And, and this is the most rational allocation of resources. We couldn't do this uh-huh. any other way. Wait, sorry, you. I'm sorry. You, you are you saying that we? It's possible to have an economy where like three three zillionaires who've never left like San Francisco or Little Saint James Island <laughs> are making like. Are, aren't making decisions about how we grow and distribute yeah, but, tomatoes, but also media, but also um, like cars. But, no, that's but ridiculous. With this, but with this, but with this, you could grow a tomato in New York City that has the perfect conditions mm. for Little St. James. uh, what you what you have is every single broccoli by ip address says harper gesturing to a screen on which data from one of the prototype farms had been collected more than 30 sensors was that was this data just a large amount of scrolling laura mipson bullshit well here's the thing it probably would have been because uh one of the key elements of this of this thing i think that we've been kind of teasing is that it i don't think it ever ever worked Mm. Like they would mm. just when yeah. they were demonstrating it, they would just go and purchase some basil or a tomato or whatever from like a shop, mm-hmm. put it in the box, and then heavily imply but never actually state that it had been so grown in the box. I, I joked about uh, 
WeWork fucking up being a landlord the easiest way of making money. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I feel like this is the fucking up the second easiest way of making money, which is just an old Mitchell and Webb joke about it grows out of the yeah. fucking ground. You just put the thing yeah. in and wait. Yeah. Chickens? They're made of chicken. Kill them. <laughs> That's chicken. One of the biggest uh, boondoggles for people trying to get into agricultural technology is they assume that it's easy and they kind of, the justification for it is like, well, look at all these yokels. They're doing it. And they don't think, mm. wait a second, all these yokels are having a really bad time financially. Like, number one, they're not as stupid as you think. And number two, they still ain't making it. So what the makes you think you can succeed in this business that you don't understand at all. Like kind of what you mentioned is it's the second easiest way to make a living as an agriculture person. I would disagree with that. It's enormously complicated and there's a huge amount of, yeah, well there's a, there's a huge (laughs) amount of knowledge work that goes into making agriculture work. And that's really erased. I think we have kind of this popular image of like farmer Brown gets up, farmer Brown does their chores, farmer Brown goes to bed. They don't understand that, at least in the US, most farmers are more like a general contractor and they're hiring in all these specialized knowledge workers to do their tasks. It's not just manual labor. There's a lot of knowledge going on. Mm. And well, oh, no, um, we're doing ca- identity ca- politics <laughs> yeah. for farmers now. Yeah, um, ca- 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 Mike, ca- Mike. Uh, <laughs> this this, yeah. this dun, episode dun. is over. I was not owned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so, like, you're not um, alone there, right? Okay, because again, mm, like, mm. When, I, when I talk about misperceptions about agriculture, I want to be really clear that. I feel like we're often told as non-farmers, uh, we're often told to like, well, you're stupid and you don't know how it works because you're not a real man of the earth like I am. Uh, again, mm. most of us, at least in the United States, no longer live on farms because we were evicted. It was not an issue of choice, right? And so mm. to evict people and then a couple generations later talk shit at them for not knowing how agriculture works, like what is that? That is a power move is what that is. It is bullying and it's just nagging people for the sake of establishing yourself as more powerful, more knowledgeable, more relevant and mm. more valuable. Um, Sounds to me like uh, there's a is a word. It starts with an E and ends mm. with an Osier. Oh, Sounds like nice. it's enclosure. <laughs> nice tunny for a city slicker. Yeah. <laughs> if only some <laughs> German guy had written about this. Yes. Um, yeah, so some some kind of some kind of some kind of like a Char- like a Charles Marcus of some sort. Mm. But um, here's another quote from uh, from Harper. Uh, Sarah, I'd like to get this is actually a crop science quote. Mm. Um, this is where he gets his most crop scientist. Okay. You are your genetics, but you are equal part your lifestyle. That's the same for a plant. So that's some crop science right there. Yeah, so I, I, I spent a couple years as a plant breeder. I actually did a postdoc in plant breeding and genetics at the University of Florida. We bred blueberries. Um, and that is literally day one of, of plant breeding. That's the first thing you ever learn. So yeah. I'm glad that he's caught up. That's fantastic. Yeah. He attended day one. That's good yeah. news. That's the start. Yeah, he drew, like all the best innovators. He just, dropped out of university because he was like, "Well, that's all I mm, need to know. Time just, to put it in a box. It doesn't do anything." Just right. doing a yeah. TED talk about Gregor Mandel and his peas. I would like <laughs> millions of dollars from Jeffrey Epstein to continue this vital work, please. Mm. Mm. Um, so the system creates what Harper describes as actionable recipes. So if your neighbor always grows the best tomatoes, you could simply download the data and grow them for yourself. Damn, you wouldn't steal a tomato recipe. <laughs> <laughs> We've created a systematic architecture around this for testing lots of things, Harper said. We give the plant everything it wants in very low quantities. In these conditions, broccoli grows four times faster going from seed to head in just eight weeks. If you could code the climate, then you could code the nutrition that's expressed in every single plant. And again, that sounds to me like... Obviously, it's just science, just like when mm. he said plants have a lifestyle. 
And it's, the, the worst part of this is one of the biggest determiners of plant growth is how like they don't have a circulatory system like we do. It's all passive flow from the roots, you know, to the leaves. Mm. So that, I, don't, I don't think Caleb actually sat in for that part of the class. <laughs> so like that's, no. that's how plants grow. It's like water sucks stuff up. And the faster you can get water to evaporate from their leaves, the faster they're going to grow because the faster nutrients are moving into them. So in order to get your plants to grow super fast, you have to have really high airflow. Like you got to have kind of like a wind going in that chamber. And I didn't see any fans. I'm just going to say mm. like, that's, that's your number one thing. Where is it? Yeah. Where's your so What fan? we're saying is plants can self suck. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. So that's, that's it. Right. It's just like, it's just, again, it's a plastic because he, it's like he was, he got something sort of summarized to him really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got plant science summarized to him incredibly quickly mm. and then was given millions and millions and millions of dollars possibly by Jeffrey Epstein, to then just invent a box that is a small version of some old technology that kind of works, but the difference is the box definitely doesn't work. Well, all these people are Wikipedia guys, right? Because their whole business model is that like they start a new company every year and then run it into the ground, but they walk away with a load of investor money. And then on the basis of their pedigree of running a business into the ground, all the same investors are like, well, we'll invest in this guy again because we know him. We've invested in him before. And if we didn't invest in him again, that would mean we were wrong when we invested in him before. So we must have been right. So we should invest in him again. And so therefore, they don't have time to actually go into a business they know anything about. That's old fashioned. That's 19th century shit. That's for people in stovepipe hats. No, what I do is... I read about a thing on Wikipedia or on Business Insider, and the next day I'm already the world's leading entrepreneur in that thing. <laughs> I just this Easy. this reminds me so much of Theranos is the thing, right? Yes, like, okay. it is it's so, plant Theranos. So fun story. When I finally watched the Theranos documentary, I was like, oh, this is what I've been seeing. There's finally a word for it. So I just I just want you to keep that in mind. Uh, mm. <laughs> so having worked because mm. like the yeah. same the same old technology that works, like uh phlebotomy, like drawing blood. No, we're gonna make it clean and streamlined and it's going to be like it's going to be like an iPhone box now mm-hmm. um, yeah. I want to be able yeah. to go into a clinic that rebalances my humors thank you uh-huh. <laughs> it's called plasmapheresis yeah, I- and they'll pay you to do it so <laughs> so uh, he carries on Rust Belt cities like Detroit and Cleveland stand to benefit too with available space high unemployment rates and a lack of fresh produce these places are ripe for vertical farming hey, um, real, real quick do you need fresh water to grow plants and does Detroit and like uh, the more deprived areas of Michigan have a loss of that um, I mean I was, look as yeah. far as I know you know, I, I remember just, I saw like cracking a tooth on a tomato that's most mm. lead. Um, yeah, very interesting flavor, very interesting yeah. recipe. Yeah, it's yeah, got uh, the so terroir. It's the, uh, that's the other thing. <laughs> that's the other thing. Let's even let's imagine for a second. Let's imagine for a moment that this actually did somehow magically work. Mm-hmm. Is mm. his he is being taken seriously with a plan to save the Rust Belt economies of the Midwest by turning everybody into a vertical small-hold farmer. <laughs> you love to see it. Yeah. You really fucking love to see it. With boxes where you can grow a single basil yeah, plant well, at a time. What if, what if you were a sharecropper again, but this time for one box? Oh no, like that's a thing. Yeah. Like some folks are bringing sharecropping back. I just thought you should know. Um, oh, good. <laughs> Hell that's, yeah. That's already we actually had an episode. Um, yeah. We had an episode where a, a company called Zoom that's being invested in by SoftBank is trying to create something called a Giga Farm that's just sharecropping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hell yeah. And uh, the thing is, look, technologies and trends and stuff, they come and go, but racism, that'll be there forever, baby. <laughs> Yeah, just as as, Sarah, somebody, as somebody who's actually worked in Rust Belt factories, uh, 
I don't know. Just um, it, it's so at odds. Could have used a vertical farm. Yeah, no, it's so at just odds with the reality. Every time, it's it's like the Ford plant, except instead of a V eight rolling off the production line, it's a, a tomato. Yeah, I it's mean, fine. all of this could just be summed up just by saying, "What if your phone was a farm?" And it's, <laughs> I think you know, like in its best version, and also a cop, if indoor right? agriculture actually became its best self. You know, like anything else, economies of scale apply. So you're going to want it to be in a big factory, which we have some spaces left open now, right? Um, mm. If somebody were to actually apply themselves and run one of those effectively and, and make a big indoor farm that's, you know, got economies of scale, so it's productive, so you can pay your people well, so there's low turnover and there's high productivity and you make a lot of goods per square foot. Um, I think you could, you know, in the Rust Belt actually do pretty well for yourself because we have a lot of empty space. We have a lot of need for produce. Like having lived there, um, we go to the grocery store and the produce there is shit. Like it, it's so funny because if you talk to Californians, they're like, I just love fruits and vegetables. I'm like, well, that's because the ones you have here are fresh. I live in Wisconsin, you know, mm-hmm. um, or I did at that time and it just wasn't mm-hmm. good. And so I think if you could actually competently execute one of these things, there is actually some potential there. Um, and yet at the same time, like we have this huge need for competent an execution and all we're getting is like complete con artists and that is very yeah, upsetting well, to me catch me in the replies to all of elon musk's tweets begging him to do this as a favor yeah. no mm-hmm. i i just I, I like the idea that in in the grim future of uh fully uh like full leftism where we get everything we want the two jobs are you work in the detroit giga farm or you're a podcaster <laughs> Mm-hmm. All the dick sucking factory, yeah, of course. I, 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 uh, I'm exempted from farming duty because of my vital role po- uh, podcasting with my friends. Yeah, <laughs> I'm also looking forward to when uh, when everyone has their own little tiny farm in their in their one bedroom apartment, and everyone therefore has to get these crop recipes that, like, you know, for the bougie among us, the New York Times starts doing crop recipes, and like the recipe for growing a tomato plant begins. Like, we all remember the day of the Srebrenica massacre. <laughs> I, for one. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing, Milo. Once again. I'm afraid you've done the thing. Where oh you've no, been. not the lathe! <laughs> I'm afraid you've done it. <laughs> a man being um, tortured by a lathe forever. <laughs> where mm. I've got, I, I, I a have a big iron lathe in I every have, home. I have in a section here, and I'd like to sort of get into this, then jump sort of into taking this back in the context of the media lab itself, right? Where I say, well, what is the commercial vision? How does this thing intend to make money? Because you can't just mm-hmm. give away empty plexiglass boxes that don't do anything for free. Well, so oh, no, that's that Yeah, they have two. They have two major opportunities for what you might call for commercial for you have two commercial visions one mm. is premiumization where they say harper envisions a future where grocery stores stock regular tomatoes next to more expensive ones that are specifically high in lycopene that also taste like they were grown in your neighbor's garden if you wanted to be high so in the lycopene idea- you just cook them like that's how that works chemistry wise uh, uh, anyway <laughs> as, <laughs> did as you mean DNA's, jars of spaghetti DNA's. sauce <laughs> yeah, I think you know, we haven't invented that yet, Sarah. Ugh. As DNA sequencing becomes more inexpensive, it's not a far leap to think about the day when it's not just diabetes, Basil, but the Smith family's diabetes, Basil. It is a fa- number one. All of this is a far leap to think of. Literally every single element of what they're saying is a far leap to think of. There's no single element of this that is not that. I just love the idea that we would be end up uh, like pirating things like oh I, I can grow um, champagne grapes in in Maine now no yes as if Alice, fr- that's what they say that's what they off. say that you could have as Tuscany if, Napa some, or no as if some French men would come round to my house and break my legs if I try and do that this- they said you could, they said you can have Tuscany in a box Napa in a box or Bordeaux in a box yeah, and the there's no did commercial specific- interest there yeah. that you're gonna have to yeah. to placate. You can have- 
You can have the Niagara Peninsula in a box. No, you cannot box the Niagara <laughs> Peninsula. You will never replicate the Niagara Peninsula. It's fantastic for growing Cabernet Franc. Yeah, there's really an interesting point to be made here, which is um, when you're talking about making wine and other, you know, most things you actually eat, there's some intervening steps between harvesting it and and eating it, right? When people say things like, food comes from farms, I'm like, all right, you see that cow over there? I want you to walk up to it and I want you to take a bite out of it and tell me how that works for you. Um, typically, there's, there's some intervening steps between the, I mean, that's how but, I eat. Yeah, yeah, between the but, farm and the eating. And so if we're talking like wine country in a box, right? Okay, it's like, so number one, are you growing enough grapes in there to make a useful amount of wine? And then number two, you know what to do with those grapes. Like you have the right fermentation tech. There's all these- yeah. I've watched a YouTube yeah. video where like some prisoners made wine in mm. a toilet. Yeah, I was so yeah. sure like, that, that works great for like, you know the inside the Blossom Hill <laughs> refinery. Uh, but if we're talking <laughs> say, like, that there is there is a perfectly uh, there is an existing thing of making alcohol in small batches from readily available ingredients with little work, and it's called spirits. That's why everyone and their uncle mm. knows how to make fucking like pachin or moonshine or something like that. Doesn't it all like taste mm. terrible as well? Like yes. it all just like it just wasn't even worth yeah. making. Yeah. I'm having to I say present to you it. the country of Russia, okay. <laughs> a country <laughs> with a long history of people just drinking and eating things that taste horrible because it's what's available. Like, like more to the point, again, like the place where our food system breaks down is not at the farm level. Like, yeah, we have some shitty farming practices, but the place where it really breaks down is processing and distribution. I feel like everyone knows this. Um, in terms of agriculture, we're overproducing, we're making way too much food. And so it's bizarre to me that there's so much money in the food system being invested and it's all going to the farm part. Nobody's investing in better processing and distribution because nobody understands that part of the system and nobody understands that like we have deep needs there. So I'll give you an example. I'm working with, you know, I had been working with an indoor farm and their farm part, you know, it takes some time to get up and running, but they did. And then their big struggles were with the back end when they have to pick it and then they have to like get it cooled and then they have to get it into little plastic boxes and you have to seal the lid on. And they could not, for the life of them, find a production line that can competently seal the lid onto a plastic box. That was their biggest technological hurdle. And so you have all these companies like fiddling around with the grow part and they're like, we can make it in a box, but nobody's talking about how are we going to harvest, cool it, how are we going to distribute it, and how are we going to get that plastic box to get its lid sealed on correctly? No one even knows <laughs> yeah, that's but a Sarah, problem. You can't learn about that on Wikipedia. That's the trouble. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, it's, it's not like that plastic's ever going to come back to haunt us in any sort of climax Way right. So like even yeah. better, let's come up with an alternative form of packaging. But like how much money is going into that very serious need as opposed to like 60 different ways to dick around with a light box? And that's the this is this is kind of where I want to get to bringing it back to the media lab, because the major part of the commercial vision is actually to get co-investment in the MIT media lab from either big philanthropists. So to be clear, it's not it's not known as to whether or not Jenny of Jeffrey Epstein's money went to this project. I mean, I funded the lab generally, didn't it? But mm. um, a lot of how this project was funded, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this here, as a, me- as a leader of an initiative at the Media Lab, which has more than 90 corporations as member companies, Mr. Harper has been personally responsible for raising funds. In addition to getting backing from Target... Uh, Open Ag has received <laughs> financial support from Ferrero, the maker of Nutella, and Wellspun, a conglomerate based in Mumbai. For Ferrero, he created a tree computer. In the cube, he'll recreate 30 different climates, seeing how trees grow and produce the highest quality hazelnuts that are not mm. only tasty, but also use the least amount of water, fertilizer, and pesticide. So I think how we have to see this in terms of how not how it is going to participate in the food system, 
but rather how it's going to basically be ways for the MIT Media Lab to market itself to companies and then for companies mm. to turn around and mar- use this. We're using a fancy grow box to make better um, hazelnuts that's more green to then market a premium and greener mm. product to consumers that doesn't exist. It's basically a human centipede of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think that hazelnut I, example is actually fantastic because so the reason for a share, if I'm not mistaken, was interested in that is because most of the world's hazelnut supply at this time comes from Turkey with a little bit of secondary supply from like the Medford, Oregon, like Willamette Valley re- region. Um, mm. And every once in a while, one of those regions will get hit by a massive frost and lose its entire hazelnut crop. So... There are a few different solutions you can pursue to this. That apparently is one of them. The other is like for decades, uh, plant breeders have been breeding uh, hazelnut varieties that are resistant to what they call hazelnut blight. That's a disease that's native to the eastern U.S., um, which is a great place to grow hazelnuts other than this disease is there and will eat your entire planting up. So I think they've, they've actually gotten to or they're just about to get hazelnuts that are resistant to that. So if you can plant the entire eastern U.S. with this hardy variety that doesn't get attacked by disease, you can massively increase your yields of that crop and then also not have it dependent on these two tiny regions. Um, Why in the hell would you grow stuff in a box if the entire eastern US is available to you? It just makes no sense. Mm. And so that's that's my personal beef with this guy is he's mm. making the fucking Ferrero Rocher upon which I depend for sustenance uh, (laughs) more expensive. But Sarah, that that's lame inside the box thinking. There, you know, you got to think of what's a cool way of doing it. Well, I mean, you know, that's, that's how could we involve question, the blockchain right? in there this? There are so many different ways to solve agricultural problems, and the ag tech industry is only interested in the ones that you can extract IP rent from. And like, and it's mm. funny because breeding plant varieties is also something you can extract IP rents from. You get a royalty on every seedling that you sell, right? Mm. Um, so if you're talking about a specific problem, there's this whole portfolio of solutions you can pursue, and the ag tech industry is only interested in a very, very small subset. It's the sexiest mm-hmm. subset. It's the one that's got the most attention from, like, you know, the Epsteins and the movers and the shakers of the world. Um, that's probably why. Yeah, but the in terms of actually solving the problem, it's not that great. And so it's it's kind of disturbing to have this much of our societal problem solving held hostage to this kind of thinking. Mm. Well, I, I genuinely think, and I don't, I don't know if I'm, if I'm wrong. So please do own me again if I am. <laughs> but I, I think that, irrespective of its actual merits, I think there's genuinely a push amongst those kinds of investors for vertical farming, just because it, it looks cool. You grow mm-hmm. plants. Well, mm-hmm. it sounds awesome yeah, at a cocktail marketing. party, right? And I feel like that's a lot of what mm-hmm. has always, at least in the U.S., driven agriculture. We actually, there's a fantastic book called Red Meat Republic about how the beef industry spread into the Great Plains of the U.S. with a lot of East Coast and European investment money. It was a giant land grab. And these people built all these gigantic ranches and just stuffed the Great Plains with cattle. And they never thought to themselves, again, you can't just walk up to that cow and take a bite out. There's some things you got to do between growing the cow and people eating the cow. They never took care of that as part of their business model. They're just like, grow the cows, that's it. Someone else will take it's, care of it. That's fine. We do, that we is just, how we Chicago meatpacking happened. We have Chicago with a, with a giant rail yard oh, no. and then it turns like, into up that to didn't six exist the jungle. Yet. That did not exist yeah. yet. And yeah, that's, so that's once it point. came you, into you being... You have to build that and you have to like stuff it with like weird serbs and stuff. And then eventually, yeah. Once they started making ranches, all of a sudden, that's around the, si- the time that Chicago Meatpacking came out. And then these giant corporate ranchers, who are the, the pioneers of this ranching enterprise, uh, bitched and whined that Chicago Meatpacking was squeezing them out of business. And I'm like, well, did you ever build your own meatpacking plant? Like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They didn't have a box. Yeah, mm. yeah. Chicago Meatpacking is one of my favorite clubs. So, um, <laughs> So essentially, I think that the, the way to understand this, right, and this is this goes back to what we were talking about uh, the MIT Media Lab for in the very beginning, which is that 
it is marketing disguised as problem solving. Mm -hmm. That's literally all it Mm -hmm. is. And the fact that it takes so much money is emblematic of what you, Sarah, have called sugar daddy science. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if if we're talking... I just I kind of started looking at this and I'm like the business model here looks a lot more like sex work than it does like science. And it's especially problematic because there's actual human trafficking involved on Epstein's side of things like that's a business that he knew very well. Right. And so you have people Mm -hmm. being trafficked without their consent. And then like that's just kind of how he rolls is like I'm here for profile. I'm here for flashiness. Like I just I get a lot of like the party guy vibes from Epstein. You'll see a lot of men that network by partying again. How much cocaine went into this decision making? I don't know. Um Mm. But that's kind of what he yes, was we, looking we for. We crucially do not know how much of it was grown in a box. We can't say. Yeah. Um, it, yes, it, carry on. Yeah. And so you just kind of get like, it's, I just, I'm seeing the traces of a lot of guys partying and coming up with like really cooked up decisions. And um, a lot of that approach to life is kind of based on image. And we want things that look cool as opposed to systemic analysis and finding out what the problem is and solving it. Um, and if people want to party, I mean, they can do that. That's fine. But let's not be using like our research institutions as the location for that. I personally, though, love to live in the future where, you know, <laughs> using using a load of funding acquired from a billionaire pedophile, a bunch of people are using the university's resources to build a computer that makes the world's best Nutella. I actually think it's a very normal, it's a very normal thing that our economy does extremely well and doesn't make me think we're all going to die in a fiery yeah. hell. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think I think that what you say is that it's oh god, it a is horrifying a- vision of Jeffrey oh, Epstein god. confronted with like a pile of Ferrero Rocher, <laughs> Mister Epstein with with these Ferrero Rocher you are spoiling us. I mean, I mean, you know what's you know what's going to happen, right? There's going to be like some QAnon guy who's listening to this right now, and all of a sudden Ferrero Rocher is going to like become part of the uh, oh yeah, yeah, the universe. Part, yeah, part of rushing part of- out to buy more red string. Right, but uh, <laughs> I I, I want to say also, uh, Sarah, I think you're you're um. Your comparison of of sugar daddy science to sex work is an interesting one because it is, it, or at least in the sense of like um of like someone who's like like an escort, where it's like yeah you're you're purchasing you're purchasing the services of someone who's basically there to flatter and advertise you to mm-hmm. others. You're in the and fantasy that's industry. Experience. Yeah. You have a girlfriend yeah, it, experience, but for broccoli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's like well it. While it lacks, say, many of the material, um, many of the material realities of sex work, it is delivering a very comparable uh, end result. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like to be fair, like there was actual sex work going on, right? There were women being trafficked, which is not—that's not, that's not course, sex work. Yeah. That's human trafficking. But there is, like, mm-hmm. there's actual sex being sold, right? Um, mm-hmm. As a part mm-hmm. of Epstein's business model. So, it, like, it kind of started off as a joke, you know, because I'm like, these these guys are clearly in the fantasy business, the MIT that's, Media Lab. That's why we had to. But, uh, that's why we had to have you on the podcast, is because you have access to the lathe of heaven that makes horrible jokes become real. <laughs> is that what that uh, is? Is that what that mm-hmm. thing does? But yeah. only horrible ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, Look, I mean, the re- look, look, everyone's like, oh, lathe of heaven, lathe of heaven. There's a reason that the leftist irony podcasts all have the lathe of heaven and that we're all materialists. Yes. That's it's, why our terrible jokes come true. Easy modes. Like, seriously, in a, in, a, in a world of vice and virtue analysis, if you have uh, any kind of materialism in you, you just, it's hacks. You have wall hacks. Yeah. Yeah, we're all we all have we're all aimbotting. That's why we yeah. all have the lathe of heaven. All right. So um, before we, we close ourselves out on this, the sort of... um detailed investigation of the open ag project at the mit media lab and caleb harper's um uh box that does nothing um i i 
I found just another little treat because this is this is what I do. You're so good at this. I have found mm. the publisher's blurb for Caleb Harper's unpublished and let's be honest, probably permanently unpublished book. Oh no. It is called 72 ver- No. <laughs> it is called The Future of Food. Hmm. Set himself, set himself a sort of manageable target there. Oh, yeah. He, by the middle of the century, he says, we will have nine billion mouths to feed and nobody who wants to be a farmer. Mm, yep, that's damn. the problem. Yeah. <laughs> None of that materialist <laughs> stuff that Sarah said earlier. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Um, that's, it's, no, just no one wants to be. And so just, all these just companies just- combine harvesters just going yeah. back and forth, laser-guided forever. Yeah, and so all of these companies, they just, they just have to do something with all this land because no one wants to farm it. Oh, no. Projection, projections suggest... No white people want to farm. Even worse. <laughs> projections, if you think nobody wants to farm, try getting that food processed and distributed. Even fewer people want to do that, so... Mm, yeah. no, nobody wants to put a plastic lid onto a box for eight hours a day. Mm. Um, projections suggest we might not have enough water to drink, let alone grow crops within a decade. From climate change to pollution to aging farmers, our global food system is in crisis, and as the planet seems, heats up, it will only get that worse. That seems like arson, murder, and jaywalking, right? Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> climate change, like uh, topsoil erosion, uh, the water, like droughts, uh, bushfires, and then also the farmers are getting quite old. <laughs> and they all keep voting for Brexit, which is a bit annoying. Um, but also, it's one of these things where it's like, wait, 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 wait. You say all that's the problem, mm. and your solution's a box. Yes. A small box. A magic box. A box. A box. A box. A box. I don't, I don't, I, I, I just, it's. <laughs> we se- just make boxes here. <laughs> it, it seems like, it seems like the, okay, number one title, MIT Media Lab Part 3. We just make boxes here. Mm. Um, two, it seems like if you step back and look at this without the, like, IQ reduction helmet that tech people seem to need to wear. <laughs> it seems very obvious that a box is not going to solve these complicated interlocking problems. It won't even alleviate some of their symptoms. It just it seems like a nice way to convince yourself nothing's wrong. Well, no, see, mm. because the problem is climate change, right? Uh, inside, if you grow uh, food inside in, in a box, there's no climate because climate's outdoors. Exactly. Or you can grow food on Mars. You know, when Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have, do their sort of like romantic, you know, homesteading on Mars and they're growing mm. everything indoors, they're going to need this shit. Yeah, well, and, and yeah, not to uh, state the obvious on this stuff, but I think there's a certain class of folks who just kind of see climate change as like, oh, people are panicking. That's an opportunity. I can go in and exploit that. I can tell people I've got the solution. It's just the same I old hustle. Wish few, I wish fewer of them worked at oil companies. Mm. I love to watch the film Children of Men and then go, hey, looks like we've got ourselves a problatunity, folks. <laughs> so, while the, pro- while the problem is clear, the blurb continues, the solutions have been scarce. Sarah, mm. have the solutions been scarce? Not at all. <laughs> the solutions have not been easily marketable to Ferrero Rocher. That, that I can see, yeah. Oh. All right. 
or to just mad psychopathic billionaires. It's not even about Ferrero Rocher. They are like they are a second order concern. That's like true. their first order concern is getting investment from mad psychotic narcissists with too much money. Like mm. it doesn't actually. Yeah, I would love to sit Ferrero Rocher down because they they have to know better than this. <laughs> just like any company oh, that's I'm involved sure in the food supply chain, any company involved in the food supply chain has a little bit more info. Like they've got to know people are breeding blight resistant hazelnuts, right? So I just I have so many questions on how the decision made oh, was made to fund this. Probably some fail son. There is probably a Senor Ferrero who is just like I don't know, swiping exactly. through notifications. Yeah, this had to be like, a yeah. decision made over some cocaine. Like some again, like you said, yeah, fail son. Guys, that's not the actual allegedly. Allegedly. We we have to bear in mind that these people are Italians. Okay, <laughs> like, they are currently allegedly, probably, maybe I don't know, hypothetically at a party with a bunch of seventeen-year-old girls doing cocaine. You know, kind of eating we pizza off of each other. With the, with Who the, knows? With the gigantic pyramid of Ferrero Rocher. Exactly. Like, yeah, With yeah, the president for some reason. Yeah, everyone knows that Ferrero Rocher, if you rearrange all of the letters and move remove some letters and bring in a lot of new letters, spells propaganda due. <laughs> yeah. um, no, so but that's the other thing, right? I, I don't think that they've invested in this because they're stupid. I just think they haven't in they've invested in this from their marketing department, not from their crop science department. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that fawning writing over stuff like the MIT Media Lab exists to al- to sort of elide the problems of an actual nature and replace them with solutions of a marketing nature. Mm-hmm. It, it exists. It's, it's a, a basically an obscurationist um, uh, entity that exists to trick and lure journalists into mm. covering it uncritically. It's a uh, Venus flytrap, but for and fast it, company writers. It's, <laughs> it's, too because it's the Tory party. You know, like, as a crop scientist, I've approached... N- a lot of journalists or they've asked me for an interview about something. It's usually food waste. They want to hear all about food waste. And I'm like, just so you know, that's, Mm. that's not nearly the problem that who owns the land and what they're doing with it is. So if you want to do something to really shake up agriculture, do that crickets every time there is so much interest in kind of talking about G whiz solutions and nobody like, will you eat crickets? Yeah. And then like, I've, I've literally pitched the story to people of, Hey, like we need to talk about, you know, when I was pitching my book proposal around, um, there's a publisher who's who's published a number of things like kind of in sustainable kind of foodie area. And I was like, just so you know, family farming is not really the solution. It's actually the source of most of the problems. And they were like, oh, hell no. Uh, so there's there's a huge amount well, to, of media to, to be fair, involved here. Sarah, did, did you have to open your book with all of those pictures of uh, Stalin liquidating the kulaks? Yeah, you know, it's really um, interesting because American family farmers keep going like, how dare you treat us like the Kulaks? And I was like, well, for one thing, the Kulaks were financially self-supporting. So it's very flattering that you think you're them. <laughs> the Soviet <laughs> Union, but worse and expensive. <laughs> the fail son Kulaks. Yeah. So, while the problem Wyatt is clear, Kulak. while the problem is clear, the solutions have been scarce. Now, thanks to Caleb Harper and his vast indoor farm in MIT's famed media lab, a revolution in agriculture is taking place. Um, not, not any of not any of the ones not any of the 19th century or early 20th century ones taking his toil from the field to the lab horrible clause he has been able to monitor the variables that affect a plant's health water light co2 temperature and nothing else because <laughs> <laughs> you can't oh. monitor those things in a field you have to be wearing a lab coat yeah, you have to be you wearing can. a lab in coat and inside. Because it requires numbers over 100, no, which is no, science. Nobody knows what the temperature is outdoors. Um, you couldn't no. possibly know. 
And you couldn't possibly like plant your thing in another place. And, like I said, I don't, I don't ever want to come off as an actual luddite. Like I don't know, we probably do need to think of ways to have more controlled farming or indoor farming. Sarah, I'm sure you know all about indoor oh, agriculture, yeah. but like, yeah, like, but, like, there's actual good applications it, here. But uh, this ain't it. Doing it, doing it this way, where it just doesn't solve any of the problems, but mm. is pure marketing, seems to just be sol- working backwards. Mm. And so to poison says, the well for those good solutions. Because oh, it, and to mm. also literally remember, poison a river. Also, literally poison the water. Yeah, no, but like I, I feel like yeah. if we were, if we had the IQ reduction helmet on, if we were a little bit dumber, then we could quite easily be like, hmm, indoor agriculture must all be like this grifter in his perspex box, and it must not be worth pursuing at all. Or we'd be like, damn, this shit's a good idea. Where do I sign? <laughs> at least, at least now we know what David Blaine was doing in that box. <laughs> <laughs> you can throw the perfect David Blaine anywhere <laughs> in the world. Mm. And, and using machine learning to analyze the vast amount of data being collected, he and his team calculated how to grow the healthiest, tastiest, fastest growing, and most sustainable produce in history. Okay, I'm just going to throw this you out there. They didn't even fucking use machine learning. They no. just used data. And, and, so they, and the machine didn't have to learn thing. anything. Well, no, no, no. no. You don't like having big data and then using a machine to winnow it down is sometimes less efficient than just collecting targeted data. It, no, uh, no, Alice. I'm pre- I'm pretty sure that they needed some kind of gradient descent to figure out that mm. food, that plant, like water. Absolutely. I, I I love to like harvest data like uh, we harvested wheat, where we just like side the whole thing off and don't separate it at all, oh, and just God. cram stalks into my thing. mouth. So- Someone at some point once told Caleb Harbour, you know, you could harvest data like you harvested wheat, and mm. now millions of dollars have gone into this. <sighs> um, and it's rough, too. So, I'm just kind of like, how do you go, f- like, how do you get yourself at this in over your head? You know what I mean? Like, I just, I look at Harper, Ooh, yeah. and I, I have to say, I see myself a little bit, because, again, he's not a crop scientist, but he's acting like a crop scientist. So you're just like, how do you get in this far over your head? Like, how does this happen? And it just, I don't know, it haunts me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Mm. <laughs> there, there, yeah. but for the, there but for the grace of having been born with millions of dollars, you know, any, I mean, any if, of if, us could have been. Mm. If, if, if anyone could have benefited from a little imposter syndrome, it's fucking this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they talk about yeah. imposter yeah. syndrome, I'm like, mm, a little bit is okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, crop scientists can have a little imposter syndrome as a treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So soon he was working with NASA to learn how to grow crops on Mars and with Syrian refugees to grow food in camps that reminded that them me. of home. That's the one that pisses yeah. me off. Holy fucking Wait, shit. Let's send some trash to a refugee Asshole. camp to these people who like, are already the, suffering. Them and, them and Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you couldn't have chosen more vulnerable people to try this on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just posing. Also, it's, he it's, must, it's bad. It's real bad. He. He like he must have known it doesn't work because whenever they demonstrated it in front of investors, mm-hmm. they would just buy food and put it in the box. Mm-hmm. So mm. what, at, at the very best, the best possible thing he could have done is briefly given some Syrian refugee children false hope. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a little Damn. basil plant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and just some extra little, trash little to plant. kick That's around. Nice. You know, like... If you're trying to run a refugee mm. camp, the logistics of running one of these places are very complicated. You don't need more garbage. Mm. You know, it's well, just, I mean, yeah. I, you know, there's enterprising people in the world. I'm sure someone by now will have had the door off of that and that Perspex will be doing something useful. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, and I, I think that that brings us to the end. Well, of the actually, no, I had one pitch. more thing. I had one thing to ask, <laughs> hit Sarah. Me, hit me, hit um, me. 
So our our fearless leader Riley has uh, an insistence that Canadian wine from the Niagara Peninsula <laughs> it's good has, it's amazing has it's really good a unique microclimate that makes it particularly uh, subtle and delicious is there any agricultural or scientific basis to this whatsoever uh I couldn't say I don't do wine <laughs> Okay. I'm not a wine no. scientist. Okay. So, so no. No, 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 Alice, 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 you stepped into the Thunderdome, and I'm about to tell you what's going on right now. <laughs> oh, it's the end of every episode all over again. Um, no, so what happened? The Niagara Peninsula combines several different uh, factors that are very important. Ah, uh, and wow, what an interesting conversation about wine. Now um, we all agree with each other. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope it didn't accidentally get faded out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway. The real Canadian wine was the friends we made along the way. Sarah, I just wanted to thank you for uh, calling into our podcast today to set us straight about uh, farming, agriculture, food, and all that good stuff. Yeah, no problem. It was, it was super fun. You know, it was, again, chaotic and confusing, but that's how life do. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> And uh, is there? Would you like anyone to follow? Follow you? Buy something? Subscribe to something? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Sarah Tabor underscore bww. I have a book coming out at an undisclosed date, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that later if it happens. So when it happens, you have a, a book coming out. You have a book coming out at a CIA black site. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's the way to do it, though. Um. Mm. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, we've got a Patreon, five bucks a month. You know the drill. You can sign up to it. Yeah. You know, you also, like we said at the beginning, this is the third part of our MIT Media Lab series. Um, so we'll link the first part, which is on the free feed, and the second part, which is on the Patreon, um, in the text of this in the text of this episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, do check those out because this place is just it is the world's strongest well of comedy it's amazing yeah Yeah. also if you like if you like comedy uh i now have all my all my tour dates collated in one place there'll be a link in the description please buy tickets to those especially if you live in liverpool dear god if you live in liverpool i have an ill-advised tour date in liverpool on the 17th of january if you live in liverpool if you know someone who lives in liverpool if you live a commutable difference from the distance from liverpool uh please do come to that because uh one of my mates just did the same thing and he said that he sold seven tickets which is not enough. It's yes. not enough. Yes. Mm. Liverpool, come on. You're you're a great socialist city. Go see Milo. Please do. Um otherwise, uh Alice, people can find you on Well There's Your Problem as yep. well with Do Not Eat. Um and I think that's all that's all we have for plugs other than our theme song mm. as ever is Here We Go by Ginseng. You can find it on Spotify. But from this the the first free episode of Trash Future season 2, uh we would like to bid you a good evening and see you in a couple of days. Yeah, happy mm. holidays mm. also. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Happy holidays everybody. We don't we don't yeah. recognize Christmas on this yeah, podcast. We don't recognize <laughs> holidays cuz we're always grinding business. Please throw your Christmas dinner in a box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boxing day, of course. Why did we not think of this? There we go. Episode How title. How could we be so foolish? Oh,